Well, good morning. If we, buenos dias. If we, uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet, my name is Drew McCullough, and I serve as one of the pastors here at High Point Church, uh, which January 8th will be Mission Church, in case you missed that announcement a few weeks ago. If you did, you can go back and hear Pastor Will talk about it way more than I'm going to right here. So uh, this morning, we are going to continue our series walking through various parables of Jesus. And if you haven't been with us over the past few months, uh, a parable is simply an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. An earthly story, heavenly meaning. Uh, Jesus often taught in parables and he taught in parables and he would use these things that were very prevalent, that people would see in everyday life, that they understood. And, And he did that to help give insight in a picture of the kingdom of heaven. And so uh, today we're going to look at the parable of the wedding feast found in Matthew chapter 22. So if you have your Bible or phone or device, whatever it is, uh, you can open it up to Matthew chapter 22. And uh, as you are turning there, I want to give a little uh, context to this parable. Uh, This parable is found in the middle of this uh, several passages of a section of the book of Matthew, and it's all centered around the theme of rejection. Uh, Warren Wearsby, he's a commentator, theologian. uh, When he did his like outline of the book of Matthew, he said that this section, the fourth section of Matthew is centered around the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of Jesus. And um, in Matthew 21, it's ironic because this, section of rejection starts out with the triumphal entry at the beginning of chapter 21. The triumphal entry where Jesus seated on a donkey riding into Jerusalem and all the crowds and crowds of people uh, cheering Hosanna, throwing down their cloaks, throwing down palm branches because they were excited to see him, right? But slowly over the, the section, we see this theme of rejection to where those cheers of acceptance a week later will turn into cheers of rejection, where he would be betrayed, beaten, and crucified. And so in the middle of this section, you see that Jesus rides in, he ends up going to uh, the, the temple, and there he encounters the religious leaders, the Jewish religious leaders. And they, they start, excuse me, <clears throat> Okay, that's gone. Uh, They start uh, challenging his authority. Who are you to say the things that you're saying? Who are you to do the things that you're doing? And he goes back and forth with them a little bit, but then he goes straight into these three consecutive parables. And they're all centered around this theme of, you know what it is? Thank you for whispering. You can say it louder. Rejection. You're afraid of being wrong. You're right. Rejection all centered around the theme of rejection. And we don't have time to talk about the first two. Maybe we'll come back to them later in the series. But to give a little context of what these these first two are about, in the first one, you have this father who has these two sons. And he says, sons, go and work in the vineyard. And the first son says, nah, dad, I'm good. No, I reject it. Reject you. But then he ends up changing his mind and he goes and does what the father says. But then you have this other son, the second son. Yes, dad, of course I'll do what you asked me to do. I'm a great son, you're a great father, but then he ends up doing nothing. And so Jesus says, well, which one of these two sons is right? And they say the first one, obviously. And Jesus says, yes. 
It is better to start out by rejecting the father, but then repenting like all of the tax collectors and prostitutes and degenerates that have been following Jesus and accepting Jesus's message. It's better to do that than to be like you, religious teachers, who make a big deal about, yes, God, absolutely. We're good sons and daughters, but then do nothing with it. And then he goes straight into this other parable. And it's a parable where this, this master has a vineyard and he puts some tenants over in the vineyard and he goes away and he says, it's time to gather up the fruits from my vineyard. So he sends his servant out, his servants to go get the fruit and they go to the tenants and guess what they do? They reject him. They reject the servants. They beat them and they kill them. So the, the master finds out, he sends more servants. Guess what they do? They reject them. They beat them and they kill them. So the master finds out, he's like enough sending servants. I'm gonna send my own son. Son shows up, guess what they do? They persecute him, they beat them, they kill him. So then Jesus says, well, what do you think is gonna happen when the master himself shows up? And they're like, well, he's gonna wipe them out. They, they rejected him, they rejected the servants, they rejected the son, of course, he's gonna wipe them out. They're gonna get what they deserve. He's gonna give them new tenants over the vineyard. And Jesus essentially says, exactly. You, Israel, have rejected the messengers. You've now rejecting the son, right? In verse 45 of chapter 21, it actually says that the Pharisees kind of whisper to each other. They hear these parables and they're like, I think he's talking about us. It's like, yeah, he is directly to you. But then he doesn't stop. He goes directly into this third parable about rejection the parable of the wedding feast. So if you can, please stand for the reading of God's word in chapter 22, starting in verse one. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants saying, Tell those who were invited, see, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves. And uh, sorry, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully and killed them. And the king was angry and he sent his troops and destroyed those murders, murderers and burned their city. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all that they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw that there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And then the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the utter darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. 
We thank you for your word that came, became flesh. Thank you for your inspired written word. God, it is humbling this passage as we walk through it. I pray that you have mercy and grace on us. God, I pray that as my mouth opens and not be my words, but be your words, I pray that I decrease so that you may increase. And it's in Christ's name we pray, amen. You can grab a seat. So in this third parable, Jesus uses this illustration of a wedding ceremony, a wedding feast. Now at my house, my, our fridge, my wife and I, our fridge, I guess it's my daughter's fridge, all of our fridge, it's filled with wedding invitations, like all the time. Like once we get rid of some, we got more to put up there, right? Has anybody ever been there before? I feel like more of you have, it's okay. Uh, our, our fridge is filled and, and a lot of it is because uh, nowadays when a couple's getting married, you put on your fridge two different things, right? Because they send out two different things. First, they send out a save the date, right? I went and found my wife and I save the date. Thank you. First service didn't awe it, but it's okay. Uh, <laughs> but all these do, right? Is they say, hey, these two adorable, cute people right here on the front page, they are getting married and they're getting married on this date. So guess what? Save it, okay? Mark it in your calendar. Get ready. Go get ready. Do what you need to do to get ready for this date. We'll let you know closer to time, more information, right? And then after everything else is ready and all the flowers are done and all the, the, wet, the dress is picked and all that kind of stuff, then they send out a more fancy invitation that like cordially invites you to the marriage of these two people, right? And it gives you all the information you need. It tells you the time, the date, the place, uh, parking information. It tells you RSVP if you're really lucky, rehearsal date, rehearsal dinner, uh, right? It tells you all these different things, right? That's how wedding invitations work. Get ready. All right. Time's here, let's go, right? But this hasn't always been how wedding invitations have been done. I, I kind of went down this little rabbit trail the other day on Google, uh, looking at the history of wedding invitations. I don't know why, I was just curious. Uh, if you have questions, come up and ask me later. Uh, but back in Jesus's day, it was different. Wedding invitations obviously have evolved over time. And back then what happened was that they, when, when a family had a couple who was gonna get married, they would prepare a wedding feast, right? You think you've been to a wedding that's like awesome? These wedding feasts would last like days, right? So they would have to go and, and kill the fattened calves and all kinds of stuff like that, right? They don't just like cater food in, they go kill the fattened calves. And when, when, uh, when the couple was ready to get married, they would go and send messengers, face-to-face -face invitations to the people on the list. And they would say, hey, a wedding is coming. Save the date. We don't know the date yet, but it's coming up in a few days, coming up in a week. We'll come back and get you when everything's ready, right? So they would send out an invitation saying, hey, wedding's coming. We don't know exactly when it is because we got to cook all this stuff and get everything ready. But when, when it's ready, we'll come back and get you and say, hey, it's time. Gather you in. Let's go. Right there. It's not a it's not an invitation where it's like, OK, it's a month later. It's like, no, it's now. And that's what we see actually happening here in this parable is that an initial save the date invitation has already been sent out. Hey, a wedding is coming. Go get ready. Get what you need. And then in this parable, we're sending these servants, these messengers out to go gather the people up. It's time to go to the wedding feast, 
okay? So we're gonna look at this parable in a few different sections. And we're gonna start with the first uh, five or six verses. Look at, uh, starting in verse one. And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and his servant, he sent his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding feast. The ones who had already been given to save the date, but they would not come. And again, he sent other servants saying, tell those who were invited. See, I prepared my dinner, my oxen, my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off one to his farm, another to his business. So, so Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like a king representing God the father, throwing a wedding ceremony, a wedding feast for his son representing Christ. And he sends out these invitations for people to come and enjoy the feast, come and enjoy the presence of royalty, come in and celebrate the son. Now imagine being invited to a wedding ceremony by a king. We don't have kings in America, we have a president. So you have to use your imagination. Imagine being invited to a royal wedding. Back in 2011, there was the royal wedding of the century, right? Y'all remember that one? I have a God nodding right there. He understands. Prince William and Kate Middleton, they were getting married, right? And the world was freaking out about it. There was, a, there was an episode of The Office. Big Office fan over here. There was an episode of The Office where like five to 10 minutes of the episode talks about this royal wedding. Everybody was freaking out about it. So take yourself back to 2011 and a younger uh, version of yourself receives an invitation directly from Queen Elizabeth. I don't know why she invites me, right? That's an honor though. I'm not royalty. I don't even live in England. Why are you inviting me? I'm not rich. I'm not bringing some fancy present to this thing. Why'd she invite me? I don't care though. I'm gonna RSVP absolutely. I'm gonna show up to the royal wedding, right? I don't care why she, I don't deserve it, but I'm going. And you would think that that's the same reaction that the people in the story would have, but it's not. We see in this, in this parable, we see three different types of rejection, three different types of rejection. And the first one in these first few verses, we see a rejection of indifference. Verse three says, the people would not go. No explanation, just wouldn't go. They're apathetic, completely indifferent to this invitation. They, they, they looked up, heard the invitation and went, looked back down to whatever they were doing. They didn't care. And then it gives us a little bit more detail about how indifferent they really are because then it says, and again, the king sent out invitations, right? Like RSVP no to me, I'll never invite you ever again. RSVP no to this king and he was so gracious, so patient. Again, he sent out these invitations, but this time he gives it a little bit more, it's enticing, right? Hey, I fattened my calves and then I killed them. You know, I got the oxen, I got a spread. Come enjoy, come into the presence of me and my son. Come on, it's ready. I've done everything. Like, look how many my's there are in that sentence. It says, my, 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 feast is ready. You don't even have to worry, about come on. But they don't care. They're indifferent. 
Verse five, they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. They paid no attention. The Greek there literally translates, they made light of it. They just didn't care. They heard the invitation and said, who cares? And they turn around and walk away. Right? They don't care. Who cares? I don't care what the king, who are you to bring this to me? I don't don't care about the king. I don't care about his kingship. I I definitely don't care about his, his son's wedding ceremony. My business is more important. So back to the royal wedding. You're invited to the wedding by the queen. You're just going to take that invitation and say, hmm, nice. Toss it in the trash. No, that's absurd, right? You're going to drop everything you have and go. You're going to cancel plans, put in PTO requests at work. You're going to do whatever you need to do. Find babysitters. You're going to drop everything and go. But these people, completely indifferent, completely apathetic, they say, let the king do what he wants with his fattened calves. I'm going to go handle my business, right? And in the context of who Jesus is talking to here, the religious leaders, Jesus is saying, look, the king, the Lord God has sent his messengers to you over and over and over again. And you've ignored it. Sent the law. He sent the prophets. He sent some more prophets. He sent John the Baptist. He sent me, his son. And over and over and over again, you've been apathetic to the message. The message is the same. Repent of your sin and turn to Yahweh. Over and over again, you just ignored it. You're indifferent to the message. And now you care more about your little kingdom of religiosity, your religiousness and and seemingly to be good on the outside. You reject the king because I don't care about his kingdom. I care about mine. And it kind of reminds me of Luke chapter 14. We looked at this parable a few weeks ago where Jesus, he, he, gives this, he gives this call to people to follow him. And then he says, to follow me, here's the cost though. Lay everything you have down, then you can come follow me because I'm worth more than all of it, right? I'm worth more. And then in Luke 9, actually, he calls these people to follow him. And this one person says, well, let me go bury my father. Another one says, well, let me go say goodbye and bid farewell to my family. And Jesus is like, no. Not that those things are bad things, but when the king of kings offers you an invitation, you respond, right? You say, yes, you drop everything and you go, you respond. And Tim Keller, he was talking about this. I don't know what that is. He was talking about this and he essentially said, if there is a God that that created the universe and put the galaxies up there and the stars and the sun, He put the trees and the mountains around you, the ground beneath your feet. He pumps blood in your body, air in your lungs. And then he holds it all together in the power of his hand. If that God extends you an invitation, you don't just say, nah, I'm good. That's crazy, right? But that's what these people do. The king extends this invitation and they just don't care. There's no logical reason even given. They just go about their business. And sadly, too many people, it's not just 
the religious leaders, it's not just the people in the story, too many people today respond with that same rejection of indifference. They hear this message, especially in this culture of individualism that we live in. You do you, I'm gonna do me. I don't care who you are. You can say you created the world and the universe around me, I don't care. I'm gonna go live my life. I got too much in my pockets. I got too much on my calendar. I got too much stuff I care about. And they reject Jesus out of apathy and indifference. People are completely indifferent to Jesus because they are so infatuated with themselves. They just reject him. So Jesus says there's some that reject an indifference, but then there's some that reject in hostility. Look at verse six. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. So some of them just didn't care, turned around and left. Some stayed, bound them up. And when it says uh, to treat shamefully, that means to injure someone with words, right? They're attacking these messengers with words. We don't know what they said, but they're probably uh, attacking the king with their, with their words. They're probably attacking these people's loyalty. Like who, who are you to bring me this invitation? I don't care. Who is the king to try to get me to come celebrate his son? I don't care about his son. And why are you so dumb that you're following him, that you, that you serve a king like that? But then they didn't stop with words. They killed him. And again, the context of who Jesus is talking to, all throughout Israel's history, they weren't just indifferent to the message. They were hostile to the messengers. We see it with, with many of the prophets, with Elijah and Elisha, Jeremiah. Then we see it with Jesus. They're, they're not just indifferent, but they hate them. They accuse them of things. They want to kill them. And with Jesus in the very last verse of chapter 21, it actually says that they wanted to, in that moment in the temple, they wanted to arrest him after the second, the second parable. They wanted to arrest him right then and there, but they were scared because of the crowds. They were hostile to Jesus. And of course they would end up not caring about the crowds because the crowds would turn on Jesus too and they would arrest him and they would beat him and they would crucify him. They were hostile, but Jesus knew it wouldn't just stop with him. The book of Acts is full of the persecution of the early church, the new messengers, the church, carrying the same message, repentance and faith. And the people were hostile. Stephen, the first martyr, uh, many of the apostles killed. And Jesus is saying, you're not just indifferent to this message, you are hostile to it. You're hostile to the messengers. But it's not just the Jewish leaders who are hostile and rejecting hostility. We're surrounded by it in our world today. People are so hostile to God or if they just wanna refuse that God exists, they're so hostile to the, the thought that God does exist that they attack the messengers. They persecute the messengers, right? 
treat them shamefully, injure them with words. And it's funny because our world that we live in, it preaches this message of inclusion and acceptance and, and love and freedom of speech. But then in the other, the next, very next breath, they'll go out of their way and say, no, 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 shut up about Jesus. Don't, don't press that on me. How dare you come to me with your, with your thoughts and your faith? And why are you so dumb to believe that anyway? Right? I don't know if you've ever seen the movie, uh, God's Not Dead. Uh, it's a little cheesy, a little dramatic in some places. But in the very beginning of that movie, there is this professor, college professor, and this student. And the professor is an atheist. He doesn't believe in God. And he's so hostile, he finds out that this student believes in God and he attacks him. He calls him out and he's like, what are you, what are you thinking? Like, how are you even in college? Are you that dumb to believe that? Again, a little overdramatic, but that's real. I don't know if you've ever been in a conversation like that with someone. They find out that you're a believer and they suddenly get hostile and they attack you. Are you that dumb to believe that? Believe that Jesus, like how do you make claims about this Jesus? But it's not just people that we may talk to. Internet trolls are real, right? In this age of social media, I've literally seen some of your Facebook posts you post something about Jesus or something you believe, you post a, you know, a sermon note on there. And most of the time I can search through the comments and I'll say, yep, there it is. Someone attacking this person. You're supposedly Facebook friends with them, but they are hostile towards you because of the message that you carry. People are hostile to this message. Hostile to the message, so they, they're hostile towards the messengers. But it's not just with words. All over the world, the church is persecuted and executed. We don't, we don't, by God's grace, we don't really experience that right now very much in America, but it happens all over the world. I remember a few years ago, uh, Jenny McFarland, one of our friends here from High Point, uh, she, uh, her and her husband, Scott, used to lead a small group that we were in. And she showed me, she used to work at Asha's Refuge. And she showed me this video of a village that one of the refugees from Asha's was from. And in this village, they, they had, uh, a lot of them had started to believe in Jesus. And there was this Islamic militant group that found out about it. So they show up and they slaughtered people beheaded them, gutted them, left them in the streets. And it was terrifying. But that's real. Our sinful, broken world is so hostile towards the message of Jesus Christ that they are hostile towards the messengers. Maybe you know someone like that. Maybe that's you today. I don't know. They're hostile. But just like in the story, the king doesn't stand for it. Verse seven says he takes a break from the inviting and he goes and wipes them out. And you might read that and think like, dang, that's harsh. But to attack and kill a king's messenger carrying his invitation, that's an act of treason. That would be an act of war against the kingship of the king, his authority. 
It's like, uh, you know, in today we have these ambassadors and like their word over in another country is the same as, as our government, our, the, the president. They carry his insignia and all these things, right? And to kill an ambassador, guess what? That's an act of war. And the same is true here. It's an act of war. And some commentators believe that this was a, uh, a prophecy of the fall of Jerusalem that would happen like 40 years later. And I don't know if that's what Jesus was, was getting at here, but I do know that in the end, just like in this story, who is a just king, we have a just God who will act and bring justice, who will make every wrong right. Every sin will be paid for in the end. But in the next few verses, we see that the king kind of changes his strategy a little bit. Look at verse eight through 10. Then he said to his servants, the wedding feast is ready, but those who were invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite, the wedding, invite to the wedding feast as many as you can find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. Now this is incredible. The king has one goal, to fill the wedding hall with guests, to bring many to celebrate his son. That's his whole purpose. So he kept on inviting people, but he says, look, don't go back to the original guest list, okay? We're not like, go to everybody. Go into the city, go into the streets, shout it from the street corners. Go into the main roads. Now, back then, they didn't have as many roads as we do. We have streets everywhere, uh, but we have cars, so we need them. Back then, when it came to main roads, like it's talking about, most major cities like Jerusalem, they had uh, main roads that would go from one major city to another, and it would just kind of go through the countryside, right? So you have a city like Jerusalem has about five, six main roads that would come in from different directions to one of the gates of Jerusalem. And where they would meet the city limits, there would be like a big court, like a town square. And there's all kinds of people that would gather there. People doing business, people traveling. So you have all kinds of diversity. You have economic diversity, racial diversity, social diversity, and according to this, moral diversity. Right? It doesn't just say, hey, go, go find the good people, invite them. It says, find, invite the good and the bad. Invite everybody, wide open invitation. Especially given where he says to go. Go to the town squares, go to the courts, get those people and bring them in, wide open, as many as you can find. And a lot of commentators believe, and I tend to agree, that this kind of represents the, the method of the gospel, God's historic redemptive plan. As, as Paul says in Romans, he says, the power of the gospel brings many all, salvation for all people, first to the Jew and then to the Gentile. And even in the Great Commission, you see like the concentric circles. And it starts here with the Jewish people. And it says, go to all nations. It's his redemptive plan that he has. But this really is the, the beauty of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the beauty of the message. That salvation in Jesus is offered to all of humanity. 
It doesn't play favorites. It doesn't discriminate. It doesn't exclude. It doesn't, it's not just for the people that you would expect. It's a wide open invitation. It's an invitation of grace because none of these people in this story, none of the people today are worthy or deserving of this invitation. They weren't even original guests, original invitees. They're not worthy, they're not deserving, but God is in the business of drawing people to himself, inviting people. So he says, invite as many as you can, open invitation, good, bad, religious, irreligious, rich, poor, black, white, Spanish speaking, English speaking, American, Korean, people with messed up past, people with seemingly squeaky clean past, go invite everybody. Invite as many as you can. Wide open invitation. The call to believe in Jesus is there for anyone to take. It's a diverse invitation. So I don't know if you need me to, you need to, you need to hear this today but maybe you're here today and you're, you've, you've been sitting there thinking, I don't know if Jesus is for me. I didn't grow up in church. I don't know if Jesus is for me. I, I have some stuff in my past that I'm not too fond of. I don't know if Jesus is for me. I don't really have very much to offer him. But hear me say, the invitation is there for you. The invitation for salvation in Jesus Christ is there for you. It's there for you because it's not based on you. It is based on the gracious invite of a gracious king. So the king, he sends out these invitations to all these people. People are filling up the venue, but then something strange happens. Look at starting in verse 11. But when the king came in to look at the guests, he saw there was a man with no wedding garment and he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And so the king said to his attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth, i.e. hell. It's an odd end of this parable, right? It's a strange twist. But we see the, the last rejection here. And you might, be, you might read through that and you're like, wait a second, hold up. Doesn't that just kind of fly in the face of everything you just said, Drew? God accepts all people. He's a God of love, right? He's a God of inclusion. But he kicks this guy out. This guy wasn't dressed nice enough. And it's not even that he rejected the invitation. He's there. He was rejected. So what gives? What's going on? Which one is it? Can't have both. But here in this story, this, little, this one little section, it shows us that the invitation is wide open. But there is a dress code. There's a dress code. Because when you go to a wedding ceremony, back to the royal wedding, Queen Elizabeth invites you to the royal wedding. You don't show up in your shorts and your Crocs, right? If you do, let's chat. You don't do that. You go and you dress in your wedding garment. You go in, in, in the best thing that you have. Why? 
to honor the hosts, to honor the royalty, to honor the son, to honor the king, to honor the invitation. The occasion calls for it, right? But this guy, he shows up and whatever I have on, oh, what I got's good, no big deal. And the king sees him and says, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's not the right attire. What's going on here? But this was more than just how he was dressed. See, what's implied here is that this guy's attire, the way he was dressed, it revealed his heart. His outward appearance revealed the appearance of his heart. Because being welcomed in by the king, guess what it does? It changes you. It changes you. And that's why he was speechless. Dude had nothing to say. It's like one of those moments in a movie where someone's just like, and you're like, say something, anything. He just stood there. He had no excuses. He knew that his heart, his real intentions, that they were exposed, that the king saw him for who he was. Because showing up like this would have been a sign that he was completely unaffected by the gracious invitation. Showing up like this would have been a sign that he had no honor, no love, no gratitude towards the king and his son. Showing up like this would have been a sign that he thought that he deserved to be there. So on the surface, seemed like he'd accepted the invitation, but under the surface, in his heart, he rejected it. His was a rejection of self-righteousness. He thought he deserved to be there. What I have on is good, it's good enough. He didn't understand the occasion. He didn't understand the, the, the grace of the invitation. So wait, is this, is this king angry because this guy didn't take the time to go like shower first? Is he angry because he didn't go uh, dust off his wedding garment and just came straight from work? Is he angry because he didn't spend all the money on the wedding garment? No, look at everybody else that's there. All these other people in verse 10 that were gathered up, right? Remember, they weren't original, originally invited. They didn't have a time. The feast was ready. They were just ushered in. They weren't given time to go home and clean up. They weren't given time to go buy wedding garments. And most of them were degenerates. Most of, a lot of them were poor. Even if they wanted to go buy wedding garments, they couldn't afford it. So, so what was different about them? Why were they not called out? What were they wearing? The only way that all of these people, these degenerates and poor, all these people that were found in the street corners, only way that these people were able to enter in and be ushered in is the king must have provided a wedding garment himself at his own expense. Not just inviting you to the wedding feast, but here's the wedding garment. Nobody has the wedding garment by nature. Nobody has the wedding garment in a closet and you just need to go clean it up. Nobody can go buy the proper wedding garment. The wedding garment is only provided by the king and you can only receive it by humbly receiving it from the king. 
That's the only way that they were able to come in. See, all these people, they came in off the streets, all kinds of backgrounds, all kinds of mess, all kinds of mistakes, good and bad. They weren't brought in because they dressed nicer. They weren't brought in because they cleaned up better. They didn't smell as bad. They were ushered in because they were wedding, wearing the king's wedding garment that he gave them. They were only ushered in because they knew that they didn't deserve to be there. They didn't deserve the invitation. They, they didn't deserve to be in the presence of the king and his son. They didn't deserve the feast. So what did they do? They came in off the streets wearing whatever they had on and they joyfully and humbly grabbed that wedding garment and threw it on and ran into the feast. And they're overjoyed. Like, look, look at us. We don't deserve to be here. <laughs> but, but look at this feet. It's like the, the, you know, the little greeting line thing. They're just like starstruck, you know, like there's, this, there's royalty. We don't deserve to be here. Who am I? But praise the father, praise the son who graciously invited me, who graciously provided this feast for me, who graciously clothed me in the wedding garment. I don't deserve to be here. But this guy, in his heart, he didn't think he needed it. He think he deserved to be there. So he walks up and whatever he has on, he says, I don't need that, thanks. I, I, got, I got my stuff right here. I got my polo on, right? I don't need it. He thought he was good enough. What I have is fine. Tim Keller said this. He said, you come into the feast of the son, not by being fit, not because you're, you're clean enough, not because you have the right wedding garment yourself, not by being fit, but by admitting that you're not fit and letting the Lord clothe you. Letting the Lord clothe you. And that's what those people did. Those people weren't just more special than this guy. They didn't have like a VIP invitation that he didn't get. They were repentantly humble and accepted that wedding garment. And I wrote down while we were singing that last song, I don't understand, I can't comprehend. All I know is I need you. That was their, that was their heart. I don't understand it, I can't comprehend it. I just know, man, all I need is to be here. But this guy said, no, 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 I'm good. So what is this wedding garment that, that, that the king, that God provides for us? It's the righteousness of Christ Jesus. It's the only way that we can go in, in his righteousness alone. Like all these guests in this story, no one in the story or today, in reality, no one deserves the invitation. No one is fit to be in the presence of the king. All of us stand there undeserving, unworthy, unrighteous. But the good news of Jesus Christ is he who knew no sin became sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ. So that we can be given the wedding garment that we need. See, Jesus was rejected by men so that by believing in him, we may be accepted by the Father. 
Jesus was, was cast out so that by believing in him, we may be brought in. Jesus was stripped down, hung on a cross so that by believing in him, we may be clothed in the wedding garment of his righteousness. And that's the scandalous nature of the gospel of Jesus. The paradox is that anyone is invited. Doesn't discriminate. It's not just for those people over there. It's not just for the people that live in this country. It's not for the people that have that color skin. It's not for the people that like earn their way with their good deeds. No matter where you come from, who you are by nature, what talents you have, what you look like on the outside, what you do for a living, how, how long you've been going to church, what your status is, it's a wide open invitation. But only when you humbly accept the wedding garment that he provides, only when you repentantly admit your brokenness and your sin that you don't deserve to be there and accept the righteousness of the wedding garment, the righteousness of Christ, a righteousness that covers you, but it also changes you. It covers you and it changes your heart. It changes your life through the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the only way. Matthew Henry in his commentary, he put it this way. He said, only those who put on the Lord Jesus, who have a Christian temper of mind, who live by faith in Christ and to whom he is all in all have the wedding garment. But see, this guy did what so many people do. They seemingly accept the invitation, but in their hearts, they reject it. They profess with their mouth, but their hearts are far from him. I don't need the wedding garment. I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll show up, right? I'm gonna show up. I'm good though. And they reject it. So in this parable, we see three types of rejections. Indifference, hostility, self-righteousness. But they're all rooted in the exact same place. All of them are rooted in a heart of rebellion to the king. That doesn't just reject an invitation. They reject the kingship. They reject his authority. They reject who he is. And then they all end up in the same place. They're all rejected by the king. They're all cast out. So Jesus, he finishes up and he sums up this parable and I believe sums up all three of these consecutive parables with this one sentence. Verse 14. For many are called, but few are chosen. Now we could spend an entire sermon, maybe even sermon series, just on this one sentence and all of its theological implications, okay? And some of you like deep-minded people are like, yeah, bring it on. But that clock says I don't have time for that, okay? So, but we're gonna address this and I wanna address it kind of obviously quickly, but honestly. And this is, this is something, this sentence is something that is really hard to wrap your mind around. It's really hard to wrestle with. 
But when it comes to this parable, the invitation is wide. But in relation to how many are invited, very few come in. And according to Jesus, he says, it's because many are called, but few are actually chosen. And here's, why, and here's what that means. Because apart from his grace, we refuse. Apart from his grace, we reject the message. We reject and rebel against the king. The reality of our sinfulness is that naturally by nature, our hearts are completely hardened to him. Completely. And we can't change our hearts. We can't change our hearts. If Ephesians chapter two, Paul says, we are dead in our sin. Dead bodies don't just raise up by themselves outside of Jesus. Dead bodies just don't do that, right? It is only by grace through the power of God that hearts are changed and dead bodies are given life. It's the only way because it is only by grace. Without his grace, I will refuse. I can only come and choose God when he first chooses me, gives me a repentant heart, draws me to himself. I will never in and of myself just choose him. I know this from experience. Like I, I would never choose God. I didn't just wake up one day and say, you know what? I think I do believe in Jesus. There's no way I would choose that. My sin is messed me up so much. It's only by an act of God. And that's what Jesus says in John chapter six. He says, no one comes to me except for those who the father brought to me. Now, let me tell you what this does not mean. This does not mean that the king opens the doors and there's just crowds and crowds of people just waiting to get in. Like, yes, we're here. And he's like, oh, we weren't expecting so many people. So if you hear your name called, make your way inside, please. Like, that's not what this, is, that's not what this means. That's not what this means. God is not in the business of turning away people who humbly, repentantly, joyfully, worshipfully desire to come to him in Christ. Look at the story. They reject the message. They reject the king. David Gutzik, he, put, he puts it this way in his commentary and it's beautiful. He says, the statement of Jesus in this context touches on the great working together of the choices of man and the choosing of God. Why did they not come to the wedding party? Because they refused the invitation. Why did they not come to the wedding party? Because they weren't chosen. In this one sentence, we get a picture of these two biblical truths that are both true the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of humanity. God is sovereign and in control, but we are responsible for our choices. And honestly, in my human brain, 
it is, it is incredibly difficult for me to wrap my mind around the fact that those two things go hand in hand. Like, I, I just, I can't. But that's why he is God and I'm not. That's why he can see all of eternity at one moment and I can only see all of you people here right now. It's hard to wrap our minds around. It's hard to wrestle with. But it's both encouraging and it's, it's, it's a little unsettling, right? It's incredibly encouraging because, man, how gracious is it that God, the King of Kings, creator of the world, sends out this wide invitation? That's, that is gracious. How gracious is it that God, the King of Kings, creator of everything, we don't deserve to be in his presence, but guess what? He lavishes us in the wedding garment. He awakens our soul to come on in and throw on the wedding garment. We don't deserve any of it. That is grace. But on the other side of grace, it's a little unsettling, God's sovereignty. But that's why scripture tells us in a lot of different places to examine ourselves, to work out your salvation with fear and trembling for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. It is by grace alone and for his glory alone. And it doesn't say that to like scare us. It says that to draw us closer and closer and closer again and again and again to the foot of the cross in a humble state, in a repentant state of just joy and worship. To examine ourselves, to work it out. So what does this mean for us today? Well, as Jesus closed, closed a lot of his parables, not this one, of course, but many of his parables, he closed it with, let those who have ears, let them hear. So if you're here today and you hear this message and maybe today the Lord by his grace opens your eyes that you've been rejecting the message of Jesus Christ your whole life. I pray that today you don't reject it. I pray that today you accept that humble invitation, that you throw on the garment of Christ and run joyfully in your life to, into his presence. And if that's you, I, man, I just wanna encourage you to not leave this building today without talking to someone about what that means. Whether it's a prayer team here in a second, someone at next steps, whatever, a friend that brought you. Don't leave here without having a conversation with someone. But then if you're a believer here, you've already accepted that invitation. You're, you're wearing that wedding garment you don't deserve. There's two things I wanna say. First, we are now the messengers. We have this incredible message of grace, but now we are called to take that message and go on mission and take it to people. And just like the King says here, Find as many as you can find. Go into the streets. Don't it doesn't discriminate, not exclusive. Go invite. But then here's the second thing. It's, it's interesting in this story 
there's a lot of talk about the rejections and, and the people and the king. The, the emphasis of this story, the goal, it's all about the son. The wedding feast itself, it's not about those people that, that made it in. It's not about those people. It's not about you. It's not about me. It's about the son and celebrating and worshiping the glory of the son. We don't deserve to be there. We don't deserve the invitation. We don't deserve the garment. We don't deserve the feast. We don't deserve their presence. Our response, the only logical response is worship and praise. I wanna close with this verse that uh, it's literally only by the Holy Spirit that I came upon this verse because it was just randomly in my devotional time this week. Isaiah 61, this great prophecy. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall exult in God. Why? For he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself like a priest with a beautiful headdress and a bride adorns herself with jewels. In that same way, we Adorn ourselves with the righteousness of Christ. Our only response, greatly rejoice in the Lord. Our souls exult in our God. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. God, this is something that we, man, in our humanity, it is encouraging and it is unsettling. But God, I pray that this morning you humble every ear in here. Let those who have ears, let them hear, God. Let us hear this message of the invitation being wide, but the only way to be ushered in is by clothing ourselves in the wedding garment that you provide in Christ Jesus, his finished work on our behalf. God, we praise you for that. Let us praise you in song, but also in our lives as we leave this place today. We don't, just, we don't just want to praise you here on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half through our songs. We want to praise you and honor you because we don't deserve the garment. We don't deserve the feast. So we give you our lives for your glory. It's in Christ's name, amen. Amen. Welcome, church family. We're so great to have you with us today. Uh, my name is Stephen, and uh, I am the director of business ministries here. And this is Lynn. Lynn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and so good to have you with us, man. Always good to be here. Yeah. Uh, so just we're so thankful that you're joining us on our uh, discussion today about the parable of the wedding feast. And uh, Drew did such a great job. He always does a great job. Uh, really with, did. Uh, Pastor Will gone, but. Uh, we've got Sarah moderating out here today, so uh, say say hello to Sarah. Tell her where you're from, and if you have any questions, drop that in the chat with her. Um, she'll respond to you. And there's a QR code right over Lynn's head, I think on the left over there, or right over there somewhere. somewhere. This way. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and you, if you have any kind of response, if you need something, if you need prayer, if you 
want to respond to the, to the lesson today or, or just anything, Amen. you can uh, you can take a picture of that and then click on that and it'll take you to the response page yeah. uh, at a high point online. So we're so grateful that you're joining us today for our discussion. Today's lesson, uh, again, was on the wedding feast, another parable. Yeah. Uh, I think we're going to be wrapping this up pretty soon. I don't think there's many parables left, but... Um, They're going to have to find some more. <laughs> <laughs> Matthew 22, 1 through 14. And so... Lynn, I think we're going to read that. Right. Yeah, I got it right here. Um, it says, And again, Jesus spoke to them in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding feast for his son and sent his servants to call those who were invited into the wedding feast, but they would not come. Again, he sent other servants, saying, Tell those who are invited, See, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen, and my fat calves have been slaughtered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding feast. But they paid no attention and went off, one to his farm, another to his business. While the rest seized his servants, treated them shamefully, and killed them. The king was angry and sent his troops and destroyed those murderous murderers and burnt their cities. Then he said to his servants, The wedding feast is ready, but those who invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main roads and invite to the wedding feast as many as you find. And those servants went out into the roads and gathered all whom they found, both bad and good. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to look at all the guests, he saw there was a man who had no wedding garment. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called but few are chosen hmm. yeah just a, such a great uh, text today and, and parable and some of this is hard like some of it's tough to, to reconcile but uh, I think we're I think Drew did a great job of kind of talking through some of that, and we'll mm -hmm. talk about some of that today in some of our questions. But so, so Lynn, what stood out to you about this text today? I think what really stood out to me the most is just the grace that was given by the king. Yeah. I mean, in in so much, and I think one of the points that a lot of people point to is like, well, Grace he killed them, he killed them, but it's just like he sent the troops to do it, and it's like, but the grace that he did to go back and invite them again and again and then still going hey go find some more people so that way that the um the feast will be filled and i'm yeah. just like man i've read this before but when yeah. you see that grace and it's just like it's so good yeah 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 and i i guess what stood out to me was the <laughs> just the audacity of the people who were being invited to mm -hmm. not only reject the invitation yeah. like like that's bad enough but then to kill the servants that came, I was like, wait, what? <laughs> Why are you guys killing the people? Like, come on now. Well, you could have did something. Just say no. That's all. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, that was really interesting to me. That's what kind of stood out to me. But mm -hmm. um, yeah. I was like, well, we got another question that says, out of the three rejections, speaking of yeah. uh, indifference, hostility, and hypocrisy, which do you see most in the world around you? And which rejection were you leaning on before you received Jesus as your Lord and Savior? Yeah, I think for me, what I see around me the most is kind of the indifference and the hypocrisy. Mm -hmm. People people are not necessarily as hostile 
um, as the story is. Praise but, God. But yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, but the indifference, just I don't need God, you know, mm-hmm. uh, or the hypocrisy of uh, oh, I'm I'm I already have God, but then they don't they don't live that out. They don't have yeah. a heart like he was talking about the heart of uh, that that you're a follower of God. So. I guess those are the two that I see the most around me. And then Mm -hmm. as far as what I was leaning on before was probably, uh, was probably indifference too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just because I thought I'm a young guy. I don't need, I don't need God. What are you talking about? I think a lot of, I think that's one of like the most common ones. Indifference. A lot of us just like, ah, I got it. I'm good. He's just a good teacher, but I'll leave him over there. Right. In his corner. Yeah. And I think, hypocrisy like that so he said self-righteousness a lot mm-hmm. uh drew did but i think like self could be so involved in all three of them we talked about this a little bit before definitely like you know with indifference and hostility like self is kind of the center point of that anyway people <laughs> are indifferent because they're so worried about self and people are hostile because they think they're better and then so I think selfish could be a selfish selfishness could be really, or self involvement could really be a core part of any of those. Yeah. Um, we have another question here. Verse fourteen, and the truths of sovereignty and responsibility are tough to wrestle with. Mm-hmm. What is most unsettling to you, or what's most encouraging to you? And then where else in Scripture can you go for peace and guidance? Yeah. Um, and verse 14 was that for many are called, but few are chosen. Yeah. And for me, it, it's unsettling in just the humanistic way of you want everybody to get in. Right. You know, right. you're like, why do few have to be chosen? Right. And it's like, come on, just go with everybody's chosen. But I think it's most encouraging as well, because even though everybody can't, has an opportunity, there are still some that will be in there are because none of us deserve to be in let's right. get that straight yeah. none of us do right but it's so encouraging because we get a chance and, and he kind of touched on this too um and the encouraging part is ephesians is that while we were dead yeah he still died for us yeah we had nothing to offer him and he still came and saved us yeah and so it's so encouraging and we can run to that that's like one of my core verses my wife would tell you i'm tired of ephesians too almost <laughs> because it's all i go to but it, it's it's just so good yeah because i'm like i'm chosen not by anything that i've done but by everything that he's done right yeah i think it was really encouraging to me is is the the part where he said he says bring the good and the bad yeah like and that and you know, in this day and time, we're so worried about earning things and earning everything. And this, you know, and and that and that just shows you that the gospel is not about earning. It's not mm-hmm. about you know specifically what you do or what you don't do. It's about what he's already done. Yeah, and he's the one that's brought the invitation. He's the one that's putting on the feast. He's the one that's providing the garment. Mm-hmm. Like you know, that's that's. It's all about him. It's not about us, you know. So that was what really what's really encouraging to me uh, about that. And then I always go to uh, Romans eight uh, thirty seven and and following. Um, know in all things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us for i'm sure that neither death nor life nor angels nor rulers yeah. nor things present nor things to come nor powers nor height or depth nor anything in all creation will be able to separate us from the love 
of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's just so comforting to me that if I am in Christ and I have the right identity in Christ, and that is that he's done these things and I haven't and I don't deserve it, like you said, yeah. then then Christ has us. Like, we're, we're good. There's yeah. nothing that can separate, you know, not even me. Like, exactly. I can't even separate me, you know. I'm like, and then another... Um, a uh, version of it, Paul even said, like he said, I'm convinced, and it's like, yeah. like we'll say, you've thought through it, you've looked through it, you've yeah. pondered on this, and and we look to Paul like almost right under Jesus sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> we should, but that's what we do sometimes. Yeah, yeah. But it's like he goes through this time and time again, and he realizes like there's nothing that can ever do that. Sure, and that is so encouraging. It really yeah. is. That's a really good verse. Yeah, and. I think for me, going back to that question, verse 14 can be tough because we don't understand that both sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man go hand in hand. Yeah. Like, like Drew said today, it's it's both. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not that we earn our salvation. It's not that we earn God's favor or God's righteousness because we don't. Yeah. Um, but I still have to believe. Oh, yeah. You know, I still have to believe in God. And, and that's part of the responsibility. So, you know, they go hand in hand, and, and you just have to understand that that's part of, that's part of the plan. It's part of the gospel. Yeah, that's the, um, that's the guy that comes in with no wedding clothes on. Yeah. It's like, hey, you're, you've been invited in, but you got to wear his righteousness. Yeah, you got to like, accept his righteousness. You yeah. come in, you got to be a part of that's it. Right. Like, that's right. I love that part of, the, of, of Drew's lesson today, that uh, bringing that out, that, mm-hmm. that he provided garments and... And this guy was like, I don't need a garment. I don't care. I'm good. And I'm like, what? <laughs> the audacity. You <laughs> yeah. Know, like, really? The audacity, right. Like, how dare you? Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, we have loved being with you today. Um, remember the QR code. Click on that. If you have anything you need to respond to or want to respond or you have a question, anything, yeah, please let please. us know. Or you can go to High Point Online dot com forward slash respond and just a little bit of information for you um we're making some transitions in church at home and so uh we're going to be going away from moderating in the tv app so if you're using the tv app we ask that you switch over to youtube or to facebook um and and we'll be moderating more through those avenues than the tv app so uh just remember that for next week we're going to start that next week so we'll yeah. be using youtube uh, and Facebook and uh, more than the TV app. So please make sure that you tune in and, and use those apps. And we're so excited to have you with us and to, to have you back next week. Uh, if you're in our area, please come by and see us in person. We'd love to see you. We'd love to meet you. We'd love to put a name and a face together and, and all that. Um, and if you're not in our area or if you can't, We'll see you next week. We love you guys. We thank you for being with us, and we'll see you. We'll see you next time. Have a good one.